What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly News Update for May 8th, 2023. We're going to be talking about, could this be the last Fed increase in rates? And we're also going to be talking about what's happening with apartment rents and some other goodies. So let's get started. First off here, uh, everybody's been talking. This was the news of the month, as it's been the last month for about, I think, the last 10 months in a row. But the Fed raised rates again, a quarter point. But there are starting to be talks of and questions and rumors. Is this potentially the last one? So Powell said on the, that the market moving comments after the latest Fed rate. Powell said the run on Silicon Valley Bank was historically unprecedented and will need to be addressed by regulators in the future. The Fed increased their balance sheet to stave off a bank run. Other than that, I think they create the stability for them to increase rates, which is something I think they need to do. But we're getting to the end here. And the next question is, all right, if this is the end, or maybe there's one more coming up after this, what's how are the rates going to be cut? Going to be cutting quickly, like how they've done it in the past? Or are they going to keep it where it's at? So I mean, he added that demand and labor market conditions will likely need to weaken some to see progress with non-housing ser- services and deem rate cuts appropriate. So the problem is when you I- increase interest rates, the impacts to labor markets, job growth, GDP, the stuff that you want to see cool off isn't going to be immediate. And some can say it's definitely going to be more than a few months to see the impacts. So I guess what they're alluding to here is maybe the sit and wait and keep it to where it's at and just watch it and let it go on for a few months would be a reasonable deduction from it. According to Powell, the cooling labor market points to the possibility of voiding recession. The initial signs of weakness in labor market suggest that a path to a soft landing for the U.S. economy is not off the table. Uh, There are no promises in this, but it just seems to me that it's possible that we can continue to have a cooling in labor market without big increases in unemployment that have gone with many prior episodes. Wage increases have been moving down, and that's a good sign. Down to more sustainable levels, I think, in the case of avoiding a recession, in my view, more likely than having a recession. And the last point here, just wanted to point out, the central bank raised interest rates by a quarter point, and now we are at a Fed target range of five and a half. A five percent to five and a quarter, which marks the the high where we at last time prior to the two thousand eight recession. The market is all but certain that the Fed Reserve will push forward a twenty five basis rate hike prior to this. This was coming from an article coming from prior. All things all, there hasn't been very many surprises with this, and it reason to believe that. If you really stop and digest how the Fed and Powell's carefully crafted messages come out, they've been pretty much following that to a T. Here's a little chart on where the rate cuts have been. And like I mentioned, 2004 was the last time interest rates increased. And they plateaued it for 14 months at that point. The previous time was in 2000, and that was a plateau of eight months. 
the last time in 2016, 2017, when they increased rates, it was a lot less aggressive, but they plateaued that one for seven months. But obviously that was prematurely cut off because of that pandemic that happened that created that backtrack of that. And that pandemic was definitely a black swan event that cut that last barrage of hawkish rate increases back. So if you're looking at this past performance, no indicator of the future, as they say, anywhere from eight months to 14 months might be a reasonable expectation. And from that, I would probably say you wouldn't see any signs from economy, job market coming out at least for a quarter or two until after this point on, if this is the last rate increase. Um, what do I think? What's my crystal ball? If I'm like, I'm a gambling man, like I would say I would probably willing to bet that might be it. That's all she wrote. If I was forced to pick one side or the other, I don't think that there's two more rate increases coming in the future. If anything, there'd be one more, but I'd be pretty certain that the next one, if there is another quarter point hike, would be it. If anything, we are done gambling and betting each other with prop bets and betting beers or $100 bills or $20 bills, depending on what your denominator is out there on whether they're going to increase rates. I think the next bet that we're taking, maybe this is on that MGM Grand app that everybody's playing around with these days. The next prop bet at the moment is how long will you plateau the rent. I haven't really thought too much about it. As I'm recording this, if somebody pressed me, I would probably call it a year. And in a lot of our projects, we're taking more of a conservative approach, assuming that year might go to a couple years and they string along to the end. But a lot of the costs in commercial projects focus on not the interest rates per se, because you can still get a five and a half percent loan. You got to come with a lot of loan capital though to get it. But you can still get pretty good rates. What really is the tough part is, is how quickly the interest rates increase, creating this volatility in the capital market, which ultimately impacts the price of the rate caps, which is super, super high right now. That's the tricky part. But if you're not doing you know, that many deals like how we are today, then it really doesn't really matter from that perspective. And if you're looking to buy a rate cap, because you're in a deal that you're in it for a year or two and your rate cap is expiring because most people bought one or two year rate caps, that can be a good sign that if you just hold out a little bit longer, wait for the volatility to run its course, you can pick up at that rate cap for maybe about half the price of what you're paying now. But yeah, if you if we just recorded the quarterly report, if you guys want to get access to the part one of that report, I think it was about an hour and a half. You guys can join our investor club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And if we haven't connected yet on Zoom, go ahead and reach out and we'll get you guys scheduled. You shoot us an email at team at simplepassivecashflow.com. Of course, after you've completed the one minute form at simplepassivecashflow.com, we'd like to get to know you. This is a time I think where there is a lot of uncertainty in the market. But at the very least, maybe life insurance, infinite banking might be your play right now, or just moving stuff around, getting money out of the stock market with, you know, I still believe 2024 is going to be a recession. And I am not very bullish to have any money in the stock market as I don't have any money in the stock market personally.
So this next article comes from Yardi Matrix, and they're talking about multifamily rent forecast update. And they're saying asking rents in March increased by one quarter of 1% over a month-over-month basis, which is more than double the increase from January to February, an acceleration in the rate of increases that we've seen so far this year. Now, some people say that this is partially due because of the seasonality, and not many people move right after the holidays. Quarter one is usually a slow lease-up season, and then when you start to head into two, especially quarter three, that's really the big lease-up seasons. He already talks about a couple of reasons here. The first reasons are most obvious difference is the magnitude of increases. First quarter asking rents increased about 38 basis points nationwide, which is almost exactly the same amount the average asking rents increase in the first quarter of 2020. To 2020. But in March of that year, asking rents abruptly decelerated as the economy grounded to the halt onset of the pandemic. The second reason, uh, the difference appears when splitting the data between lifestyle and renter by necessity apartment types. Um, if you're not familiar with those two, that's basically lifestyle is more of the deluxe, the upper end, the renter by necessity is you got no choice, you can't buy, so you got to rent category, which is mostly the sector that we like to play in because it is a little bit more recession proof. But the higher end, the lifestyle apartments only realize an average of six basis points of gross in asking rents during the first quarter of 2023 which again, looking at the years 2010 to 2019 is only 11% of the average growth of the lifestyle asking rents during quarter four. However, the renter by necessity asking rents increased 66 basis points during the quarter, which is approximately 91% of the average growth in asking rents for RBN apartments across the same time period. These things move back and forth, and this is they're giving information more from a national basis, and we always tell investors, look at the market and the submarket, et cetera and zero in as opposed to taking these big high-level data from the whole sampling size. But I would probably tend to agree. Like now I'm starting to see the high-end rents not as move as quickly. Shortly after the pandemic, unfortunately, the pandemic impacted the lower end, the renter my necessity demographic a lot more than the higher end folks. You know, I kind of joke all the time, the higher end folks, they kept their jobs, they work from home, they ordered Uber Eats. And for the most part, the pandemic was just a little bit of a nuisance to them, where the renter by necessity tenants, these are your workforce, your frontline workers, your, your hourly workers, your hospitality workers. And that obviously that sector got pretty beat up in the pandemic. But now you're seeing that slap come back. The shortly after the pandemic, the higher end lifestyle apartment rents skyrocketed because a lot of those guys had a lot of money pent up. They couldn't spend it on vacations or silly things that they normally do. And now I think you're seeing that slack come back. I would probably echo it. We've got like a class A apartment in downtown Dallas and the rent growth is a little slow on that. Evens out based on what happened last year with it, but I definitely will probably agree with the sentiment. Now they're talking about specific markets and like one thing I, I key on here, we like to follow Manhattan and New York. They've seen 2% growth so far this year. So they're saying we expect that there will be likely a recession around quarter four of this year or quarter one of 2024. And that will be relatively short and shallow and that it will affect higher earners more than on the lower end of the income spectrum. There is a potential for rubber banding in the markets that had high rent growth during the last few years. 
had a large amount of supply inbounds and had exposure to white collar job losses, such as Austin, Salt Lake City, Boise. But we expect a snapback in prices to be the exception, not the rule. It's a bit of a slack back in the system. And, you know, like that was a head scratcher during the pandemic for me. Like normally in tough times, it's the high end that come, that gets hurt, as they're saying here, and they come back to the B apartments and then they move to the C apartments. But the pandemic was definitely the other way around where the lower end was impacted and the top end was really not. This article from the Multifamily Insiders, it says the apartment investment sales will rebound in time. The figure represents a whopping 74% decline from first year 2024 of sales. It appears the sole place of multifamily property sales will continue for a while. And this is all because of interest rates, no different than what's happening in the residential world. Although I would probably say the residential world will probably be beat up a little bit more because sure, the commercial um, buyers, they're sitting on the sidelines right now, but a big portion of those commercial buyers are institutional buyers and those institutional buyers need to deploy capital. What capital, you ask? Most people's lazy retirement money that they stick into their 401ks and their REITs, that's the money that needs to get placed. As most of those institutions, they get compensated on deploying capital. So they can only sit so long without buying stuff just to buy stuff. So in addition, not many distressed properties are available for acquisition right now as those owners still have terms on their loans, which gives them ability to wait a bit longer in hopes for that capital markets to improve and allow them to refinance their current loans with more favorable options than are available. But yeah, for us, like, you know, we had a handful of properties that we were going to sell this year. It's just not the time to be selling right now because the buyers aren't equipped with good lending loans from the capital markets. A little bit of a bummer, but then again, most of the projects that we're in, we're still got stuff to do, value adding. And it's kind of like one of those things, oh, just wait for winter to let up and we'll get out there in the spring and have at it, whether that's next year or the year after. So they're saying the potential recession's impact on renter demand is likely to be relatively minimal as the recession, if it occurs, is not projected to be particularly deep. Low unemployment will ensure resident demand for apartments remains strong. And that's talked about at the top, right? The Fed, Powell, what they're trying to do is create job instability, but not really have a huge onset of unemployment. Now, personally, I don't know if that's possible because how else do you measure job instability than figuring, measuring that binary, do some people have jobs or not? Perhaps there's a better metric out there. If there is, let us know what you guys follow. But just following the affordability index, this is more for residential homeowners. This is a sort of a composite between the housing cost to income ratio divided by the market's medium monthly housing costs. And currently we're at all-time highs. And last high was prior to the Great Recession. That was in 2006 was the previous high of 40.5%. Now it's 42.6%, which is the ratio between the housing costs to people's income. Now, the new normal, and I think what a lot of landlords will look for when they're vending a tenant, us included, is you're looking for that no more than a third of somebody's income going to pay their house. So if somebody only makes $3,000 a month, $1,000 is the most that you're going to want to see them rent or being able to afford. But now that right now in this day and age with interest rates high, 
people are paying 42%, which is almost half of what somebody's paycheck or their income is. In my opinion, long-term, this definitely, this trend will probably go upwards very slowly. Who knows by the time I close up shop here and stop caring about this stuff, maybe people are going to be more at not one third, but more 40%, 50% of what people's income that they make is going to go to their housing. And I guess that is good for landlords, all right? Because more people are putting money to that. I don't know how it's going to work for people if they keep having their iPhones and their iPhones getting more expensive. And so it's either you pay for your shelter, your computer, and your iPhone. Good being a little fishesis there. I don't. I honestly don't know how the average person gets by out there with the income and without investing. But finishing off just a little bit of words of thought here. So I was watching this video on, it was a study from the Gallup. They compared 1990 with 2021 with men's friendships declining. I guess what they're saying here is you can take a look at this on the YouTube channel, but this chart was staggering. I thought back in 1990, I guess that'd be 30 years ago, there were about like three out of a hundred guys who had no close friends. Today, that has increased fivefold to 15 people out of the survey had no close friends. On the other end of the spectrum, back in 1990, when surveyed, 40 people out of the 100 said they had 10 or more close friends. And that has also decreased to today down from 40 down to 15. So basically, we ain't got no more friends because we play on the computer all day and watch Netflix. No, I don't know if those last two, but that's just my kind of snap judgment thinking of this. In all seriousness, I see it, right? Like we're all more socially distanced because of the pandemic. I've seen this change in terms of the industry. It used to be you went to a conference. Now there's only these sappy virtual conferences out there. I think gone are the days of these huge events. and But unfortunately, that's where you meet like-minded people who get off their butts and do something out there in the world. And I think this is why I think I've really tried to keep our family office, Ohana Group, and our live events going. Our next we event is going to be June 23rd to 25th. We started taking applicants for people who want to join us on that. Again, you have to be in our database, which you can join at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. But it, what we're trying to do is a little bit pared down version of the Anna Retreat in Hawaii. Some of the feedback that we got from Hawaii is it's cool, but it's far and it takes a lot of time. And a lot of our clients are multiple six-figure earners. They got families, they got responsibilities and just don't have too much time. So we tried to, we, we got the staff and myself will be in San Diego in June. And hopefully that's a little bit close to where everybody's at. The thinking you guys can come on down on Friday evening, it's a full day Saturday. And then Sunday, we have more structured networking in the first half of the day. But we should have you on the road by the afternoon time in case you want to catch a late afternoon flight or evening flight that Sunday and be back for work without burning up any vacation days. Hopefully, your spouse won't be too upset with you leaving the family the kids at home. I think the reason why people will join our group and this for the social connections, really, we have a really unique dichotomy within our ecosystem of very smart professionals, hard workers, first generation wealth folks, the first generation to hit a million dollars net worth before their 55th, 65th birthday. 
those types and especially the things that we invest in are not sexy, high-flying type of projects. They're all basic blue-collar type of value investments in more blue-collar type of cities and states. I think a lot of people will, they come the first time and a lot of the feedback is, wow, we've got a great group of high-quality people. And for a lot of people, they they jump into our inner circle because it's really all about social connections. And you learn a lot about investing taxes and you get a lot of deal flow that way. But long run, I think the way we teach it, when you invest in good deals, where you don't get your money stolen from a bunch of internet shysters, you pay a fraction of the taxes with some of the strategies that we implement made possible by passive losses and real estate. And you do a little bit of a credit investor banking, uh, which is the new version of infinite banking. If you guys want to learn more, shoot us an email, team at simplepassivecashflow.com or bank at simplepassivecashflow.com. When you do, when you combo those three strategies, most of you guys are financially free in five to six years. And then what do we do with ourselves, right? Some people, they turn to bodybuilding. Some people, it's just more time to connect with the right people. When you grind and do it as long as we have and watch your finances, you really try and look for people that are similarly in have a similar value set. And I think that's something we do unique within our group. I'm pretty picky in, in terms of who we have in our group and who we keep. And right or wrong, that's, that's my club and I run the rules. And I think it's created a good setup for the people who are around. And it really, the people make the group, if anything. If you guys are interested in the family office, Ohana Mastermind Group, that's our inner circle. You can get more information at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. And if you guys just want to check us out at your first event and get to know us a little bit better before you dive into deals or dive into that mastermind group, you can check out our signup page at simplepassivecashflow.com slash stateside. And hopefully we will see you guys in San Diego in a couple of months. Bye.